It's our last time to see that video today. We are concluding our series, Pray Bold, and God has moved so dramatically here over this past four months. It's a little longer than what we normally do a series. We're normally about two months or maybe a month, but God has so moved during this time, we extended it, and um, it's been amazing to see what God has done. You're going to hear more of that even as time unfolds, I believe. I also want to say uh, a special thank you for those who gave cards and uh, letters of appreciation during the Pastor Appreciation Month. Uh, I couldn't... I couldn't begin to explain to you, express to you the gratefulness I have for allowing God, or God allowing me to be here. What an amazing blessing. Uh, if you knew the backstory of how God brought all of this about, you would uh, be in awe as well of what God has done to allow us all to be here together at this time. And I couldn't do what I do without our staff and our elders and us as a church all together. So uh, I'm grateful. Thank you for that. So uh, as we come to the end of this series, we all know we have been profoundly moved by God to think differently about prayer, to consider what it means to pray and then to pray bold. And uh, God has challenged us. And my prayer has been that it has moved the needle for all of us a little bit more toward praying and to pray with bold confidence. That's really what we are called to as believers, to change. And the last thing that should ever be said about us is that we are still the same today and yesterday and tomorrow. That's God. That's not us. We should be in the process of changing. Amen? And that should call us to new levels of faith and new levels of surrender and new, new ways of trusting God and deeper prayer and deeper worship. And all of that has been our prayer during this. And one of the greatest evidences that we truly have believed this idea and the promises that God has given us, and, and we really have prayed bold. The real evidence of that in our life is seen in our worship. We're going to see today from a passage of Scripture that the real proof that we have believed, that we have prayed bold and believe it, is that we will worship God even before the answer comes to what we've asked. That we will pray with such confidence that we will worship with that same confidence before the door opens, before the answer comes, before heaven moves, we worship God in advance for what we have asked. Amen? So this is our challenge today because I know that's not normally how we all operate. I know the pattern because I've, I know it in me. I know what it's like to face a problem and then try to do it in my own strength and then stop and pray, and then wait to see what happens. And if the answer comes, then I'll worship. And we have that all backwards. We've got it turned so wrong that we have missed the point. And today's message will clear all of that up for us. Our message entitled today, Pray Bold With Your Worship. Pray bold and let it be seen in your worship. Second Chronicles chapter 20 is where we are today. So turn your Bibles there, Second Chronicles chapter 20. Give you a little bit of background. We've got a map on the board today. That'll be fun. We're going to talk about what God does here in this passage. So let me set it up a little bit. The nation of Israel is divided into two groups. They have divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and they're not at uh, not on good terms with one another and not on good terms with those around them. They're enemies seek this time where they are divided to try to capitalize on that. You know that's what the enemy likes to do, is see when you're divided and likes to capitalize on that. 
in a marriage when a husband and wife are divided, man, the enemy comes in because that's an easy time to come in and, and make a difference and tear things apart, right? It happens in a family. It happens in a church. It happens in a nation. And so in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we see that. And the king has an unusual name, Jehoshaphat. He probably asked, does, does my name make me look fat? But uh, his name was Jehoshaphat, all right? And so he's the king at the time, and he is about to get some very disturbing news. So 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1 through 4 is where we are today to see the trouble that is ahead. It says, it happened after that that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Now that's three names on the page for us. But it's three groups, it's three armies, it's three that are coming against him and them. Now we'll learn later that this other group that it's talking about is Edom, the Edomites. So it's Ammon, Moab, and Edom are coming against him. Verse 2, then some came and told Jehoshaphat saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Wise folks here, they recognized threats were against them. Three groups had mobilized Three different groups who all were set on one thing, destroying the people of God and taking their land from them. They wanted what they had. And so these three groups are all mobilizing together. And the Bible says that they have done so at En Gedi. They have gathered here. They've marshaled all their forces together. And they are about to sweep up into Jerusalem to take over. God's people are facing a great threat here in this moment. It's interesting, these uh, three groups, if you do a little bit of background study on them, you find that they were some really disturbing groups, Ammon, Ammonites. They were a pagan group. They did not believe in the one true God. They chased after all other gods. They're very cruel people because of the gods that they served. The gods that you serve will make you the kind of people that you are. And so they were cruel. They were harsh. They were known for coming in. And some of the cruelties were to even take women who were pregnant and cut them open and kill the baby and kill the mother as well. Disturbing. Cruel. So the Ammonites, they represent intimidation they represent fear. They represent a force coming against God's people. People of Moab, also immoral, pagan, did not serve the one true God, worshiped idols. They were known for their human sacrifices. They were known for offering up children to the gods to bring peace for the city. They were destroying their children. They were known for their immorality. They were known for their orgies, even in worship. And they were a destructive group because of the people or because of the gods that they served. They represent destruction. And then Edom, they were actually descendants of Esau. Esau was the one who traded his birthright so for a bowl of beans. 
He was the man who said, I don't believe all that spiritual stuff. You can have all that. I don't want it. I don't want my birthright. You can have that. And he traded it away because he trusted in his own self. He trusted in his own strength. He trusted in his own power. They represent self-reliance. They represent the spirit of, I don't need God. I can do this on my own. I have this on my own strength. And these forces are coming against God's people. They are marching to Jerusalem. They outnumber them. They outgun them. The forces are coming against God's people. Have you ever felt like the forces were coming against you? Have you ever felt like these forces were coming against you? Intimidation, self-reliance, and destruction. They are. It's not just a feeling. This is what the enemy is after. He has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And this moment for God's people has turned into a moment where they turn to seek the Lord. They're doing the right thing. They do this before they do anything else. When trouble mounts against them, they turn and seek the Lord. That's why God sometimes allows trouble so that it will stir our hearts to turn back to him. That is what's happening in our land today. Trouble is mounting on all levels. It doesn't demand a political revolution or resolution. It demands a spiritual revolution. It demands a spiritual revival. You can change anything about the commerce, the politics, the government today, and it will not change our land. The only thing that will change is when the Spirit of God swoops in and revival happens in our land. When the people of our nation come and fall on their knees and repent before God and seek him, that's when change will come. And that's what's happening here. Their hearts hadn't been right with God. And so God, in his sovereignty, is allowing trouble to come. And they're doing the right thing. The king does the right thing. He calls all the people to fast. He calls them all to pray because trouble is coming. And they have recorded for us in Scripture exactly what they prayed, and it is a bold prayer. Look in verse 5. It says, Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, here's his prayer, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Now, those are not questions that God wonders about the answer for. He doesn't wonder, wait a minute, am I that God? Am I that? Am I really that? They weren't asking so that he could remember himself. They were asking and saying, God, you made promises to us. You, your word to us was sure. You have a land for us. You've promised to be our God. So they're reminding themselves, but boy, they are praying a bold prayer. They're praying it right back to God as a way of saying, God, you said, you promised. It goes on, verse seven. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it, and you have built a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple. 
and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. And now here are your people. I'm sorry. Here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. I love verse 13, what it says next. Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives and their children, stood before the Lord. They prayed this bold prayer and said, God, you made promises. You gave us this land. You said you'd be with us. You protected our, our forefathers, those who came before us. You made promises to them. And here we are, God. We have your house. Your name is on it. Will you not protect us, God? And they stood there and said, we only know to trust in you. Let me just remind us of some things today. We are the temple of God today. Not this building, but you are. You are the temple of God. This same God has given us promises in Jesus Christ. And every promise in him is yes and amen. He has promised to be with us. He has promised to work all things together for us. He has promised to never leave us or forsake us. He has promised that no weapon formed against us will prosper. Those are our promises. Amen? And he's waiting for us to come to the place where we will strip ourselves of all self-reliance, all anxiety and fear, all trying to do it on our own and cry out to him and say, God, we are desperate for you. And we all stand before him. We stand before him as families individually with our little ones, our children, our wives and the husbands. We stand before him as a church desperate as with our little ones and our families all together. And we wait before him. Amen. That's what we are doing. And this is what they were doing. And because they prayed bold, God spoke. When you believe and you pray, God will speak. I want you to see what happens because God answers when we pray bold. When we pray, he'll give wisdom. When we pray, he will give counsel. When we pray, he'll remind you of your purpose. And here, they put him ahead of everything else. And here is what God did. God caused one man who was part of the Levites to speak. He was filled with the Spirit of God, and he spoke out. Okay? He's one of the worship-leading group. And God fills him with the Spirit, and he begins to speak. And in verse 15, we have it recorded for us. It says, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but God's. It's so tempting to want to think that the battle in front of us is the battle for us. It might be a battle that's against us, 
But if I belong to God and his spirit is within me and I'm walking in his purposes, then any battle I face is not mine, it's his. He brought it, he's got the power, he can defeat it, and he will. This is what God's people always need to be reminded of. The battle is not yours, it's his. Stop trying to do this in your own strength. Stop trying to figure it all out. Stop trying to use your own wisdom. Stop trying to stress about it. Stop trying to worry about it. Stop trying to be anxious about it. Stop trying to medicate yourself about it. Trust God and let him fight the battle. It's his. Sometimes we've got to get our hands off of it so that he can put his hands on it. The battle is not yours. It is the Lord's. And I think about the battles that are in this room even. The battles for a loved one who hasn't returned to the Lord. The battles for that conflict in a relationship. The battle for provision that hasn't come yet. The battle against a heart that you're still praying to be healed. Those battles belong to the Lord. Those battles are for us to let him fight. We have a place, and we're about to see what our place is in the fight. Because God wants to do a work and can do what he wants without us. Right? You know God is all-powerful, right? You know God reigns over all things, right? You know he is holy and sovereign and just and nothing happens outside of his hands or control, right? So he can do whatever he wants to do. God does not need us to fight a battle. God can do what he wants without us. He doesn't need us. He's not desperate for us. He's not begging us for his sake to get in the fight. That's not what he's looking for. But instead, God, in an unbelievable move of grace, says, I'm going to include you in this battle because I want you to experience all of me. So God can do what he wants without us, but God invites us to experience his power. So, forces will come against us that are seeking to destroy us, and God can do what he wants. He could wipe them out long before they even crossed the Red Sea. He could have eliminated them before they ever came. But God will sometimes allow the trouble to come so that we'll seek him so that we can experience him in the victory of this battle because he wants you and me to experience what that's like. He wants us to know what it's like to see his power show up in our life. He wants us to be able to see the miracle. He wants us to be able to cry out to him and him answer us not because we're so great but because he is great and so God will bring about a battle and he'll ask us to get engaged in it 
But again, there's a very specific way that you and I are to be engaged. This one who spoke by the Spirit of God went on and says this in verse 16. He says, tomorrow, go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Zeus, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Verse 17. You will not need to fight in this battle. What a stunning move. God wants us to be engaged in the battle, but here he's going to give them a very specific strategy. I want you to go up against them. You're going to have to go up against them. In other words, I could do this all on my own, God says, but you are going to have to face this enemy. You are going to have to go up against them. God can do what he wants, however he wants, with his power. But as an act of grace, he says, I want you to go up against them. He gives them specific direction. Here's what, I, here's what he says next in verse 17. He says, position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Now that is not natural military strategy. All that says is, go up against them, get there in this very specific place, and when you get there, I want you to position yourselves. I want you to plant your feet. I want you to be strong in this spot, and I want you to stand still. I don't want you to move. I don't want you to panic. I don't want you to rush around. I don't want you to be nervous and just frittering about all the time, wondering, if we, should I do this? Should I do this? No, stop. Position yourself and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Position yourselves in what God said. Position yourself in who he's made you to be. Position yourself as one that God has called, loved, chosen, redeemed, has a future for, has blessed, has promised to fight your battles for you. Position yourself in that. Stop letting fear and worry and anxiety and stressing and all of that keep you anxious. Position yourself. Stand still. Stop. Call on God. Let him fight this battle. Sometimes you have to stand against the enemy in order to see the victory over the enemy. You see, you have to get out and go up against the enemy. You have to make a stand. You have to resist. In this day and time, as the church, we are not called to hunker in our bunker. This is our time to let the voice of God be heard, and we are the mouthpiece in this day. We are the ones who have been called to speak. 
We are the ones who should not hide, but we are the ones who should step right up into who we are as the church of Jesus Christ and boldly proclaim truth, unafraid of being outnumbered, outgunned, out-whatevered, because we are, we are stronger, though we might be small, when God is on our side. And when I'm speaking in the name of Jesus, and I'm speaking the gospel in the power of the Spirit, then we are positioning ourselves, standing still, and we will see the salvation of the Lord. Amen? This is the battle strategy. You have to stand against the enemy to see victory over the enemy. Now, in verse 17, he went on and said, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. This is our calling. And up against all of this, the king is listening. The king Jehoshaphat is listening to the words of this young priest. And in verses 20 and 21, he gives them very specific instructions. The king hears God speak. And now he gives national orders. Here's what he says in verse 20. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. He appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. In other words, Jehoshaphat gave this announcement to his people. He said, I want you to believe what God has spoken through his prophets. And then the Bible tells us what he did next. He appointed those who should sing to the Lord. And he said, I want you to praise the beauty of holiness. He said, I want to put you in a place where you can worship. And it says in verse 21, as they went out before the army, and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. So Jehoshaphat, king, good man, trust the Lord, says, I'm about to change our military strategy. In this battle, because of what God has said, because of his promises, when we go out into battle, he said, I want to take my appointed singers, and I'm going to put them out front of everyone else. They are going to praise the beauty of holiness. They are actually going to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And we are going to lead into battle with that message. We are going to let worship go in front of us. Wow. What a military strategy. That's not normal. That's not natural to put singers out front. They don't have weapons of steel. They don't have weapons of iron. They don't have any kind of bows. But boy, they have the worship of God in their heart. And that is a powerful weapon. So powerful that, that Jehoshaphat says, we're going to lead with this. 
because I know God keeps his promises, because I know God is for us, because I know God is with us, and because I know victory is ours. He said it, and if he said it, I believe it. I believe it so firmly that we're going to lead with worship that says we win. That's what happens. He said, it's not us, it's God. But boy, we're going to lead with that. We're going to lead with, praise God, he is merciful and good. Praise God, he is merciful and good. And they weren't singing it in monotone, deadpan-faced, miserable voices. Praise the Lord, his mercy is good. No, they put them up there, the appointed singers that they knew would shout and sing and move and declare and believe what they were saying. Praise God. His mercies are good. Going up against all intimidation, going up against all destruction, going up against all self-reliance, they put praise ahead of all of that. They said, we'll take you on, and we're going to put worship out front. This is how we fight our battles. Amen? See, the proof that we believe is praise before the victory. It's praise in advance. You see, like I said earlier, you and I sometimes often get this backwards. We come up against life and a struggle, a trouble, a reaction, intimidation, destruction, self problem All that comes up against us. And we say, I got this. I'm going to handle it myself. And we start trying to solve all the family issues. We start trying to solve all the financial issues. We start trying to solve all the issues of the nation. We start trying to solve all the issues in our community. We start trying to solve all the stuff going on at work. We're just like, I'm going after it, man. I can do this. I got the knowledge. I got the strength. I got the influence. I got the power. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. Until one day you say, I can't do this. And then finally you get to the point you say, well, you know, when it comes to this, I guess it's time to pray. Really? That's what we do. Trouble. I'll do this. I can't do this. Pray. Then wait. 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 Yeah, still no real change happening. Yeah. We're not in a place of worship because worship, we think, is out there somewhere on the other side of this victory. If we could get the answer, then sure we'd be willing to praise the Lord, his mercy endures forever, Woohoo! We got it all wrong. Jehoshaphat said, look, you come up against trouble, here's what we do. We immediately turn to pray. You don't try to handle it in your own strength. You turn to pray. You do that first. You believe God in it. You trust him in it. And then when you've prayed, you pray bold, you pray strong, and then you actually start to worship, not because you've seen the result yet, but because you believe the promise given to you. You believe that God is going to do it, so you go ahead and worship in advance. Hello? Am I striking a chord this morning? 
Are we hitting close to home this morning? I believe that's why oftentimes we come into an experience like this and it's so easy for us to grab a hold of a back of chair and just stand here while the worship team is giving themselves away in this moment and we just stand here. Because we're so fixed on I'll worship when it happens instead of I'm going to worship God in advance of it happening because I know he's going to come through based on his promises. When that happens, it'll fill a room with worship regardless of what's going on in the moment. Hello? This is what you and I are called to. I'm not talking about faking it until you make it. I'm talking about praising it until it happens. I'm talking about worshiping knowing it's going to happen. I'm talking about believing so strongly that the God who saved me is going to redeem me in this moment that I'll worship him in advance of even seeing it happen. Hello? This is what you and I are called to. And then in that worship, then you go up against it. This was the order. Now, with your worship, with the worship out front, with the leading edge being your praise, not your problem, not your fear, not your anxiety, not your I gotta figure this out, not your maybe, not your might, but God, I know you're going to and I'll worship you in advance. I'll praise you in advance of it even happening and I'll use that to go up against the fight. This is what he calls us to because then that is when victory happens. This is the order in Scripture. This is what God is about to do in this situation. This is what he calls us to, that kind of bold praying and bold worship. Verse 22 says that when they began to sing and praise, in other words, when they stopped being spectators, when they weren't afraid anymore of what other people thought, when all of a sudden they weren't controlled by their insecurities, they all of a sudden weren't worried about if they were too cool, too manly, or whatever, they said, I'm gonna let worship lead my work. I'm gonna put praise out in front of this battle. And they opened their mouth and they started to sing. And they went against this army. They went against them even though they were outnumbered, outgunned, outfought with experience. And here is where the attack and the battle happened, and God knew where they would be. God called his people to meet them there, to stand there, position themselves. And the Bible says that when they began to sing and praise the Lord, here's what happened, verse 22, the second part. It says that the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. Because God's people went in to the battle confident. Because they went in planted. Because they went in believing promises. Because they went in praising in advance of it even happening. God used that confidence. God used that boldness. God used their faith to cause the enemy to get confused. He calls the enemy as they were getting ready to fight to be like, wait a minute, what, what's going on? 
and they all turned on one another to the point that they were ultimately and completely defeated. There were none of them left. And God's people were left standing saying, praise the Lord, his mercy endures forever. God kept his word. All they had to do was go in with worship out front and he would fight their battles. Whoo, amen? This is what God calls us to. God causes or calls us to worship in advance. In fact, God uses worship to defeat the enemy. So if you and I are silent, if you and I are depressed, discouraged, downtrodden, given in to the enemy's lies, not believing he's going to come through, if you and I even live in the, well, we'll see. I don't know. Maybe. I prayed. We'll see what happens. We'll see. Could be. Maybe not. I don't know. I mean, we'll just have to see what happens. Do you think the enemy has any concern over anyone that lives like that? Do you think the enemy is threatened at all by the believer who says, I don't know. I mean, try and see. There's no power in that. But when the believer says, I know who has redeemed me. I know who has called me. I trust in him. I trust his word. He has saved me and he's promised he's working all things together for my good. I know that he is using me because he's called me to be a minister of reconciliation. I know that he's using me because he has said that no weapon formed against me will prosper. I know that he has said if I trust in him with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding and acknowledge him in all my ways that he'll make my path straight. I believe all that stuff and I stand in it and I sing in it even though I don't see the answer yet. And that is what causes the enemy to flee. It's the worship out front of the problem, out front of our logic, out front of our fear that says, God, I believe you so strongly that I will worship you in advance. And that is what causes the miracle. That is what sets the enemy to flight. That is what causes the enemies of God to actually turn on one another and lose the battle. That is what brings victory and makes us more than conquerors. And at the end of the day, we don't say, whoo, look what I did. No, we look and say, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Amen. Hey, we're going to take some time to do that this morning because I know in this room, there are battles that you're fighting. I'm fighting. And this morning, I will not let a spirit of fear, intimidation, or threat, or anxiety, or intimidation, or destruction, or self-reliance win the day. I will put my worship ahead of the warfare. I will put my praise ahead of the problem because our God is at work. Amen? Our God is doing a work today and we celebrate that. We stand in it. We position ourselves in it and we sing praise to God. Stand with me this morning. We're going to pray and then we're going to sing. Father, I ask you to forgive me and us for being those who trust more in our own logic, logic, 
Trust more in our own feelings. Trust more in our own ways instead of trusting in you. And the problems that have come our way, God, you have arranged in such a way that they would cause us to cry out to you, to trust in you. So we do that this morning. We say, God, you are the God who saved us. You are the God who redeemed us. You are the God who's called us. You are the God who is the Lord of this church. So God, we trust in you. We put our hope in you. And we cry out to you to be the one who is the one who will fight our battles, the one who will lead. And we let praise lead as a result. We will praise in advance of the issue. We'll praise in advance of the open door. We'll praise in advance of the answer that we've been praying for, believing you will win the victory. So we trust you this morning and we fight. We fight on our knees. We fight with our mouths open. We fight with our hearts declaring your praise. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.